is from Hebrews 9, 15 to 22, which is on the screen behind me. It's also in your bulletin and in your Bible if you have that. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of the calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning to all of you, and we're going to continue our study this morning in the book of Hebrews, and if you listen to, if you tried to follow that passage of scripture that Juliana just now read, it probably, it might have reminded you of how when I lived in Dallas, Texas, we had a, lived at White Rock Lake, and there was a, a bamboo forest between us and the lake, and wherever we walked to that lake, we walked through that bam, bamboo forest, and it was just just so thick, and it's like you needed a machete to get through it. And so what we want to do this morning is we actually want to make sense of this passage and make it real and make it apply to you today. What is the greatest need in the world today? In, my, in, in, our, in our society, in our American society and in our lives, what is the, is the greatest need? I would argue that the greatest need is forgiveness. Last week, you might recall, when we talked about the new covenant, we talked about forgiveness. We talked about the forgiveness that is promised in the new covenant, and one of the things we pointed out is that the newest religion in America is the cancel culture. And what it is, so often, and it is, is human nature to buy into this sort of self-righteous judging religion where we point things out, but there's really no forgiveness available. That is the greatest need in our country today. And what I want to say this morning is, what is it that Christianity uniquely offers to us? What is it that Christianity uniquely offers to our country? You know what it is? It's forgiveness. It's forgiveness. So this passage, this, this very thick passage, this bamboo, all this dense stuff in here, what it's about is forgiveness. The last sentence that we read in that passage says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So this morning, we're gonna talk about that unique forgiveness. We're gonna talk about the mediator, Jesus Christ. There's a quote in your bulletin that I wanna point out to you, so it's on the inside left section of your bulletin. And not sure if you read those quotes beforehand, but they're rich with meaning. And this is a quote by Rosemarie Miller. Rosemarie Miller was the wife of Jack Miller, who was very influential in the lives of, of many people like Tim Keller and many others. In fact, he was the one that coined the phrase, preaching the gospel to yourself. 
So his wife, Rosemarie Miller, wrote a book called From Fear to Freedom, and it was about her discovery of forgiveness, her discovery of the gospel, her discovery of being a child of God and all the riches that go with that. And I want you to take a look at this quote by her. It says that God's grace is a power at work in the inner life. Once you are forgiven completely, you want to forgive others in the same way. Forgiveness is a process that is not automatic or easy, but it is possible through the Holy Spirit's work in us. I want you to notice something that she said in there. She said, once you are forgiven completely, you want to forgive others in the same way. And I want you to underscore that because when we understand God's forgiveness, that results in a kind of emotional and spiritual wealth that we have in our hearts. And it gives us the ability to operate in a different way. It gives us the ability to replace resentment with forgiveness. That is what the gospel does for us. And it is the biggest need, you guys, in our relationships, in our families, in our marriages, and in our country. And Christianity offers this forgiveness uniquely. Now, when we talk about the topic of sin and forgiveness, there are two types of people in the room this morning. There are two types of you. Some of you in this room, when it comes to sin and forgiveness, are in denial. Here's what I mean by denial. You, uh, maybe perhaps you're selfish, perhaps you're angry, perhaps you're not inconsiderate of others, perhaps you say harsh things to people and you kind of leave this wake as you go through life but you're unaware of that. You have hurtful ways in your life, you're selfish, you're prideful, whatever it might be, but you have a blind spot in your life and other people know it but you don't and so that's what we call denial. So this passage applies to those of us in the room. There are two types of people in the room. Some of us are in denial. And denial's an interesting thing. There are people that I have in my life, and sometimes I've been that person, where I say, I would love, I would love to see you take inventory. I'd love to see you have the ability to admit that you're wrong. I'd love to see you have the ability to humble yourself. But denial is a powerful, powerful force. Then there's a second type of person in this room this morning, and this is a person who is in despair. You are in despair because as you look back over the last day, you look back over the last week, you look back over the years of your life, and you know you've done stuff to hurt people. You are acutely aware. Some of you have done things that you're not proud of, things that, you, that if people knew, if they came out into the light, you would be so discouraged if people knew about it. There are some people that are in despair, and they are haunted by their sins in the past, for them, every day is Halloween. Every day is haunted by stuff we've done in the past. So we're either two types of people. We're either in denial of our sin or we're in despair about our sin. And what this passage teaches is that the gospel is the medicine for both. Now some of you are saying, well Mike, if everybody in this room is either in denial or despair, what about you? Mike, which are you? Are you a guy who's in denial or are you a guy who's in despair? And I will say to you, the answer to that question is both. 
I've got times in my life where I live in denial. All you have to do is ask my wife when she's trying to get through to me. All you have to do is the people around me that know things about me and experience, th experience things about me that are hurtful, but they haven't told me yet. There are times when I'm in denial. There are times when I'm defensive and when I'm self-righteous and when I'm too proud to admit that I'm wrong. But there are other times in my life where I'm in despair. Well, I'm, a, I'm aware of the wake that I've left. I'm aware of the things that I've done. And that despair can get me down. And what, what I want to say to you this morning is that the gospel is good news for both. The gospel is medicine for both of those types of people this morning. So I'm going I'm to ask you at the end of this message this morning, will you take the gospel medicine that's in this passage? Do you believe it? And will you take it? That's going to be the application for, from this passage of Scripture. A little bit of orientation of this passage. Remember back to those bamboos and all the stuff that's in there. Let me just mention a couple of things that we're going to learn about in this passage. One, it says in verse 15 that Christ is our mediator. That's really powerful. That's what make Christianity, makes Christianity unique. He's the only mediator in the world. The Bible says there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He's our mediator because he's fully God and he's fully man. I love the song we sang this morning, I Believe. I believe we're believing in Christ, fully God and fully man. It says that he's the mediator of a new covenant. We talked about that last week. He is the mediator of our redemption. It even says in verse 15, it answers one of the questions that I'm frequently asked, and that is, if people are saved through faith in Christ, what happened to people who came before the time of Christ? It says in verse 15 that he died to pay for even all the transgressions under the old covenant. That means that Abraham, Moses, David, they looked forward to this coming of Christ, and they were saved by faith in the same way that we are. This passage has a little section in it where it goes back to a passage we looked at in Exodus, Exodus 24, where there was sprinkled blood because people promised they would keep the covenant, but Moses knew that they wouldn't, and so they had this, all this, uh, these sacrifices of these animals as a substitute to point to the coming of Christ. And you see that quoting from Exodus chapter 24, which we talked about in this very room. And then it goes on to the end, it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so some of you may be wondering, what is the importance of the blood of Christ? Why do we sing about the blood of Christ? Why is that precious to Christians? So here's what we wanna do today. In this sermon, what I wanna do is I wanna give you three takeaways. I wanna talk about specifically how do you preach the gospel to yourself. That is life-changing. If you understand, if you take with you from today that you know how to preach the gospel to yourself, it will dissolve your denial and it will comfort your despair and it will change your life. So three things you're gonna, we're gonna talk about from this passage. One is confession, the second is cleansing, and the third is confidence, confession, cleansing, and confidence. And if you understand those three words, you understand what it means to preach the gospel to yourself this morning. I want everybody here to walk away really understanding how this passage applies to us in that way. Number one, confession, confession. What does confession mean? Confession means being honest with God about our sin. Confession is actually the cure for denial. 
It says in 1 John 1, 9, listen to these words. This, the word confession is not in our passage in Hebrews 9 today, but it's alluded to because of the, the mention of sin, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. In order for this passage to mean anything, we have to acknowledge the fact that we are sinners, and that is really hard to do. But 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and he's righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you see the greatest need in the world today is forgiveness? And do you see that Christianity uniquely offers forgiveness? Confession. Confession is a hard thing to do. Do you have anybody in your life who you really wish that they would get it, that they would say to you, I hear what you're saying, and I just want to let you know that I get it. I own it. We want that from our politicians. We want that from our athletes. We want that from our, our family members. We want that from people who disagree with us so strongly about things. If only people would be honest. If only they would have humility. But it is really a hard thing to do to be honest before God about our sin. Adam and Eve had trouble with it, and I've had trouble with it. I want to take you back to my, the, the earliest sin that I can remember in my life. I was six years old. I probably sinned before I was six. I think kids do. But uh, I can remember the first time that I, the, the, the first sin that I can consciously remember. Six years old, we lived in Dallas, Texas, as I mentioned before. We moved into these apartments called Crestwood Apartments. And my mom and dad said to me, they said to me, Michael, that's what they called me, Michael, you're not to climb that particular tree that's next to the parking lot here in these apartments. You could get hurt if you climb that tree. And we're telling you not to climb that tree. Well, one day, it was about five o'clock, I just got the urge to climb that tree, to disobey my parents. So I climbed up in the tree and sure enough, driving into the parking lot, little after five o'clock was my dad returning home from work. Six-year-old kid, my heart starts beating a little bit faster. I just, I still remember this vividly today. My dad comes back, he sees me climbing in that tree. Well, I go home, and my mom and, my mom and dad sit me down. Remember, they, they're like you with your friends. They want me to get it. They want me to own it. They want me to say, I get it. That's all they want. So they sit down with me and they say, Michael, did we not ask you not to climb up in that tree? You know what I said to my mom and dad that day? I remember it just as, as if it happened yesterday. You know what I said to them? I forgot. Isn't that ingenious? It's just amazing how we can put those fig leaves on, how we can cover. It is so hard to admit it when we're wrong, in fact, some of us, some of us, and, I'll, and if I were true about my own heart, sometimes I'm afraid of the consequences. It's hard for me to bring stuff that's in the darkness out into the light because I'm afraid I'll be rejected. I'm, afraid, I'm fearful of what will happen. But Hebrews 9.15 says that we have a mediator. We have a mediator. We have the Lord Jesus Christ who paid for our sins. And what that means is I can be honest before. There's any hurtful way in me and then lead me in the everlasting way. That is what I call the prayer of humility. Search me, O oh God. In other words, shine the light of your holiness on my heart. Show me where I'm selfish. selfish. 
Show me where I'm hurtful. Show me where I'm insensitive. Show me where I'm stingy, whatever it might be. Shine the light of your holiness on my heart and I don't fear it because I have a mediator. That is the beauty of this mediator. So that's confession. First thing to do, first thing I've learned in my own life and I hope you'll learn as well, is that preaching the gospel to yourself means being honest with God, it, mean, it means being truthful, and it means agreeing with God that something is wrong. A lot of us have a hard time with that, but you, I'll tell you what, the truth will set you free. Jesus said the truth will set you free. You do not have to stay there in denial. What's funny is that if we actually come clean about our sins and we say to our spouse, to our friends, to God, we say, I get it, I'm busted. It is amazing how much compassion starts to flow. It is amazing how much empathy starts to flow. It's amazing how relationships can be reconciled when we finally admit stuff. Will you do that? Would you do that for your family? Would you do that for your friends? Would you be honest? Would you confess your sins to God? Are you willing to be honest with him? Second thing in preaching the gospel to yourself, the second thing is, our second word is cleansing. You say, Mike, why do you choose that word cleansing? There's, there's just no better word. God wants us to be clean from our sins. He wants us to be free. Listen again to 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us for our sins and to cleanse us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It doesn't say most unrighteousness, it says all unrighteousness. And for every person in this room who identifies with what I said about despair, you are Halloween every day, you're haunted by your past, you're haunted by your sins, you wanna be free, you wanna be forgiven, listen to the Christian's bar of soap, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us, not from most unrighteousness, but from all unrighteousness. Do you like going to the dentist? I actually like going to the dentist. Now, partly because I've amassed a pretty good, like I floss, I brush, all that kind of stuff, and, and, and God's blessed me with, you know, I mean, I've had cavities over the years, but so far, so good with my teeth, right? When I go to my dentist, I, uh, I go there, and it's a, little bit, it's a little bit painful, it's a little bit of an interruption, but I have what they call a dental hygienist. Do you have a dental hygienist? You know what that's like? got a dental hygienist and they're really friendly, they're really great, these days they're wearing masks, you know, and can't even see them, and, and, uh, but they got all this really cool equipment. What they do is they take this really sharp thing and they open up your mouth and they start digging around and just like chiseling away at stuff and they're cleaning your teeth. And so, of course, I've been flossing, I've been, been brushing, but what's going on is they're finding all this buildup of plaque that is in there, and so they're scraping it away, and they're making it clean, and they know exactly where to look, and I'm so glad, because they're not stabbing me or anything, they're going after that plaque, and they're cleaning my teeth, and then there's, like, then they rinse out my mouth, and, and they do all sorts of things, that, and then they take this, like, drill, you know, with this, like, sandy, good-tasting, toothpaste -y stuff, and they, you know, they whirl that around, they're polishing my teeth, and, uh, it's just, it's just, and you walk out with this really clean feeling. 
And so it's so good to have somebody that knows where the plaque is, that knows how to treat it, and actually has your long-term best interests in mind. That's the beauty of cleansing. I still don't know why my hygienist always says, are you flossing? Show me how you floss. You have a retainer. How do you get around the retainer? Like, you would get more business from me if I didn't floss, but they're still teaching me to floss. They're teaching me self-care, but I love it because they know exactly where the plaque is. And that is the beauty of the gospel, is it's not just about being honest about our sins, but there's a promise that God will cleanse us, not from most unrighteousness, but from all unrighteousness. And the way that he does this is through the blood of Christ. So a lot of what you read in this passage of scripture, remember all the bamboo and all the stuff, references to the Old Testament, and it brings up this topic of the blood of Christ. Now, some of you in this room, you might ask this question. Why is the blood of Christ so precious to Christians? I mean, how can it be that a man from Nazareth, which, by the way, was a real place, a man from Nazareth could hang upon a cross, and in that act, instead of us being canceled, our whole bad record is canceled and we are cleansed from all of our sins by his blood. Doesn't that sound a little bit strange? But you see, that is part of the uniqueness of Christianity is that there is provision for sins. So why the blood of Christ? Have you ever wondered that? That why in God's plan, in order for people to be forgiven, they need to put their faith in Christ and they are cleansed by his blood. That's what the Bible teaches. Why is that? Well, the blood of Christ, number one. You know what blood does? Is it reminds us of the seriousness of sin. You see, the Bible takes sin seriously. In our culture, in fact, a psychologist wrote a book called Whatever Became of Sin, because people don't want to acknowledge it anymore. Nobody can be wrong about anything, whatever, but the Bible takes sin seriously, and it, was, it took the blood of Christ to cleanse our sin to get rid of all that plaque. That's the first thing. Number two, why the blood of Christ? It shows the price of our forgiveness. It took the life of Jesus. It took his life, that was the cost. Number three, why the blood of Christ? It reveals to us the grace of God. Those of you that are in despair about your sins, those of you that are living in fear, let me give you some comfort. Your forgiveness is not based upon your performance. It's not based upon your weeping. It's not based upon how you can work up all sorts of emotion. It's based upon the blood of Christ. That is grace. Because the Bible teaches, just, just like those goats and calves in the Old Testament, but now we have the Lamb of God, Jesus, his blood is what cleanses us from sin, not our good works. And it is all of grace. And I'll tell you one more reason for the blood of Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1 talks about we were purchased, we were redeemed with something costly, the blood of Christ. And it, it demonstrates how valuable all of us are to God, that he gave his life for us. The blood of Christ, you guys, is precious. You know, this is why so many good hymns. There was, uh, I want to read you this hymn. There was a guy by the name of August Toplady who wrote a hymn in 1775 and some of you will remember these words, but I want you to listen because 
The kind of stuff we're talking about has produced so much gospel music because people know forgiveness is the greatest need in the world. People know that Christianity uniquely offers forgiveness. Listen to what he wrote, Toplady in 1775. Rock of ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and its power. Then he wrote, not the blood or not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. That is good news to the, to the despairing, you guys. That is such good news, the blood of Christ. One more thing I want you to see, though, about the gospel here is it's not just confession and being honest with God, but secondly, it's, it's the cleansing, the promise of cleansing. But I am really excited to tell you about the third thing, and that's confidence. That's confidence. I want to talk about how the power of forgiveness can really change the way we operate in our lives. I want you to look uh, back in your verse of scripture there to verse 15 for a minute. Look at, look at Hebrews 9.15. I want you to understand what's going on in this text. And now that we've talked about confession, we've talked about cleansing, look again at verse 15. It says, therefore he, that is Christ, is the mediator of a new covenant. A covenant, remember, is a relationship based upon a promise so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Did you get that word inheritance? There is a promised eternal inheritance. In other words, Jesus, our mediator, not only wants to forgive us, he wants to make us spiritually and emotionally wealthy. The promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred, that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. And then he says in verse 16, notice verse 16 because he's talking about, he's comparing the covenant to a last will and testament. A last will and testament is a legal document that goes into effect when the one who, who, uh, who planned it dies and then the, all of the heirs can receive the inheritance. And what it's saying is that those who are believers in Christ receive this, this wealthy inheritance. So look at verse 16. It says, for where a will is involved, that is one of the meanings of covenant. Where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For it takes effect only at death since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood and so forth. So what Christ did when he died was he basically he had a will, and he says that all of us who believe in Christ are inheritance, and that's what gives us confidence in life. And an inheritance is, a, is an amazing thing. I was reading recently about the, the children of um, the future king of England and the future queen of England and just what, what all they're going to inherit, inherit. And Molly and I were not raised by uh, wealthy parents, we didn't have like a lot of money. All, all of our parents are, are dead right now, but when I, was, uh, when I worked for a church back in the 70s, I was a youth director, and there was an elderly widow 
who allowed me to stay in her home. And it was during those years that I had the chance to introduce her to Christ. It was during those years that we became really good friends. She'd make pancakes for me, uh, all, that, all that I wanted. Back then I was really skinny, I could eat all I, all I wanted. But in the late, her name was Ethel. And in the late 80s, Ethel died and went to be with the Lord. And one day her sister gave me a call and said, Mike, uh, Ethel has passed away and we've opened up her will. And she said these words to me. She said, Mike, you're included in the will. And the amount is substantial. It's like, man, that was just amazing. Now you talk about grace. You talk, so there was someone who died. I've been included and the amount is substantial. Now Molly and I were sort of living paycheck to paycheck. But that allowed us to buy some furniture, that allowed us to do a few things that we had not been able to do. I don't know whether we helped with a car down payment or whatever, but it just gave us this confidence because of this little inheritance. What Hebrews 9 is saying is that our mediator has died for us and he's left us an eternal inheritance. And if you believe in Jesus Christ this morning or whenever you do put your faith in Christ, you're included, and it's substantial. And what we come away with, this is not what's called the prosperity gospel, the health and wealth gospel. It's not a material reward when it comes to the family of God, but it's something far better. It is a spiritual and emotional wealth. It is the forgiveness of sins. It is God providing for us. It is the fact that God gives us his Holy Spirit to empower us to live the Christian life. It is the relationships, being part of the Christian community and all the resources of God that are available to us. And on top of that, a home in eternity in the restor restoration of the new heavens and the new earth. We have this incredible inheritance that is available to us. And what that does, if you and I start living, we're not li no longer living as orphans, but we are sons and daughters of royalty. We have an inheritance. It enables us, as uh, Rosemary Miller said, it enables us to forgive people. We become less stingy and more generous. We become less prideful and more humble. We become um, less angry and more loving. We become less bitter and more forgiving. These are the things that, that are part of the, our inheritance in Christ that he gives to us. And over time, these things grow in our lives. And so there's a, when we believe the gospel, when we preach the gospel to ourselves every day, when we, get, when we gather in worship, when we read God's word, what we're reading is all the stuff that has been given to us in the will. And it changes how we relate to our families. It changes how we forgive people. It changes how we love people. Just to wrap up and to appreciate our mediator, what is it that our mediator has really done for us? We've talked about confession, we've talked about cleansing, we've talked about confidence from this passage. In 18, I think it was 1881, Mark Twain wrote his first historical novel. You know what it was called? It was called The Prince and the Pauper. It was about a little pauper boy, that is a boy born in poverty by the name of Tom. 
Tom was raised by a dad who was an alcoholic and who was abusive, and he was poor. But on the same day that Tom was born, the son of Henry VIII was born. That was the prince, the future king. His name was Prince Edward. Those two boys were born on the same day, and when they were teenagers, they met each other. And they decided that what they would do is they would switch places. And so the prince, the future king of England, became a pauper and lived the life that Tom had led, because they looked alike. And then Tom got to go into the palace and lead a life of royalty. You talk about confidence, the prince and the pauper. Now, according to the gospel and according to the, to the Bible, all of, us, all of this, us in this room are paupers spiritually. We don't have righteousness. We don't have grace. We don't have holiness. We don't have any of those things. We are pop, paupers. But Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, those who admit their need, who admit that they're paupers. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. What did our mediator do for us? In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, in verse 9, listen to these words. It says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, because he was the prince, though he was rich, Yet for your sake, he became poor throughout his life and all the way to the cross and shedding his blood for our sins. For your sake, he became poor that you, through his poverty, might become rich, rich in righteousness, rich in grace, rich in love. He did that for us. And even now in this life, we taste of those riches as we anticipate the greater riches to come in heaven. So here's my question for you this morning. Will you take the gospel medicine? Will you take the gospel medicine? We're going to uh, go into a time right now of communion, of the Lord's Supper, and so hopefully you have a communion cup, and we're going we're to uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper together, and this passage is actually such a great setup for the Lord's Supper, and so I want you to take out your cup, and I want to talk about this just for a minute, because if you look this way, this is the time for all of us to do business with God, every single one of us in this room. Are you a person who lives in denial? Could this be the day that you say, you know what, I'm not gonna live in denial anymore because I have a mediator. I'm gonna go home to my spouse, I'm gonna go home to my friends, I'm gonna quit being self-righteous, I'm gonna bring stuff out of the darkness into the light. Because of your mediator, you can do that. Others of you might be living in despair, and this might be the day that you need to put your faith in the complete cleansing of Christ and the blood of Christ. You've been resting too much on your works. It's Halloween every day for you. I want, to know that, I want you to know that you can be set free because of the blood of Christ. It is just an amazing thing. So as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper, would you bow with me in prayer? If this morning you feel like you've been hiding something, you've been manipulative, you've been, you've been a user, you uh, are not going God's way, would you take a moment and just admit that to God honestly and confess that to him?
If this morning you have felt the despair of your sin, the guilt of it, would you lay it down and realize that Christ bore that for you today? Would you believe the promise of Scripture that he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness? Have you been living like a pauper, unaware of the riches that you have in Christ, unaware that he will empower you to forgive people, he will empower you to love people, he will empower you to be generous? Would you take a moment and just thank him for the riches that you have as an heir of God? Would you, would you today realize that you're a child of the king as you go away from here and you can have confidence, you can have emotional wealth in life? Lord, we thank you for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for this meal, this very special meal we get to celebrate this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Bible teaches that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is given for you. And it says in the same way he took the cup, he says this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as, as often as you as you drink it. This, the Lord's Supper is open to anyone who admits that they need a savior. If this morning you're not able to admit that, you've never put your faith in Christ, and we would encourage you, in fact we would urge you to take a pass on it until in your heart you have put your faith in Christ. But I wanna reassure you that if today you know your need, you need to know that it's not because of your righteousness, righteousness that you can come and take this cup but it's because of the blood of Christ. We're gonna stand together and affirm the Apostles' Creed and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. It's in your bulletin, would you turn to that, our confession of faith, we sang about it earlier, but today we get to affirm what, what we believe, the Apostles' Creed. Let's say it aloud together. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting, amen.